Well, good morning, church. My name is Austin Shank, and it's my pleasure to deliver this message here. Um, I want to get this out of the way. Y'all may have seen me up here three weeks ago. Um, and yes, I'm just as surprised as you that they let me back up here. Apparently, the reward for doing a good job is you get to back it and do it again. Who would have known? But the title of our sermon today is Motivation of Love, and we're going to be looking at how Jesus' love motivates and informs how we love others. Did you know that in the NIV translation of the Bible, the word love is mentioned 551 times? The word, the, the word heaven in comparison is only mentioned 184 times. So if you take those things into consideration, it would seem like God's trying to tell us something, right? I mean, if he's going to mention the word love 551 times, but only the word heaven 184, it would seem like love's a pretty big deal. But if you're like me, it's easy to let life cloud your view of love. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, it's as simple as if I'm driving down the road and I'm just driving along doing, doing my own thing, I'm in my own little world, listening to podcasts, all those things I do when I'm driving, and somebody comes flying out of that merge lane. You know what I'm talking about, right? This, this is my pet peeve. When they're supposed to merge and I'm in the right lane and they just whip it in in front of me. In that moment, it's really, really hard for me to love. It's really, really hard for me to love. Now, if I know the person and I maybe know the reason why they're in such a hurry, maybe they're taking their kid to the emergency room. It's a little easier for me to show love in that moment. But what if I'm having a bad day and I go to the restaurant for dinner and the waitress is really, really rude? Do I show love as Jesus would? This real life church, this is the tension we live in, living with other people every day. And sometimes it's messy. And at the end of the day, sometimes it's hard to love. And the answer we probably always heard from the church on why should we love is that we love because Jesus told us to love, which is correct, and we'll see that in our, in our scripture later on. But the fact of the matter is, if I'm honest, there's days when I'm just not motivated to love. And what do I do about that? That's, that's a question that I hope this sermon will help us answer. I'm going to go ahead and give us our bottom line for today. Our love for others should be filtered through the view of Jesus' love for us. Now, every day we're told how to love, right? Social media tells us how to love. Movies tell us how to love. TV, they're all trying to tell us how to love. We're taught at school, at work, how we should react to situations like hurt or betrayal in our interactions with other people. And if you're in the room today and you're a Christian, you know that we're called to love differently. We shouldn't be informed by the world's way alone. We should be informed by God's way. The world should not be our main information source on how we love others. So today I want to look at how Jesus loved us and how that should inform our love for others. We're going to jump into our main text in 1 John 4, 7 through 21. And while y'all are turning there, I want to give you the background of the main text. This is the letter of 1 John, and it was written to a group of, of believers that were in a situation where some of them had abandoned the faith in Jesus the Messiah as it had first been taught them. And they couldn't reconcile the idea that God had come in the human body with the common Greek idea of the time that the flesh is evil and only spirit is good. 
Now, even though they were living immoral and sinful lives, they still claim to know God and belong to God. And they claim that their spiritual insight somehow made them better than the rest of the fellowship or the church of that day. So they left that church. They deserted the church. And the believers that were left behind, they're obviously shaken, and they're not really sure what to believe. So it's commonly believed that the Apostle John wrote this letter, and he's reassuring the believers there and reminding them what they had heard from the beginning. Jesus came in the flesh, and as believers we have full access to the truth, and then in this passage specifically he points out that practically caring for others or loving others is one of the signs of those that truly know and believe in God. So starting in verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as, son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. For whoever lives in God and God in them, this is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In, the, in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a couple things I want to look at right away in Scripture. The first one is this. Love is not naturally in us without God in our lives. we got to know God and be saved people to have a God love in us. It says in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And not loving others is a sign of lack of God. In verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So we shouldn't be surprised when we interact with the world and the world doesn't have the reaction that we want or would expect. They don't have the same love in them that we should have in us. And then God did more than just say he loves us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So he demonstrated it by sending his son, not because of something that we did. He sent his son freely. And the question is today, do we demonstrate that kind of love? Are we doers or are we just talkers? Are we just 
communicating our love but not actually following through by showing action. And then we should not be a fearful people. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God's love gives us a confidence in whose we are and who we are. We should love because of God's love for us. God showed us the ultimate love through sending his son while we were yet sinners. And this is what we see in verses 9 through 10. God didn't love us because of our love for him. He loved us first before we even knew him. And that's why he sent Jesus. So we love according to verse 19 because he first loved us. So if you're a Christian and you're here today, you're here because you want to be a disciple of Jesus, right? That's why we're in church, because we want to be disciples of Jesus. So how does Jesus tell us to carry out this discipleship in this passage? Love others, right? It's what Karen said earlier. It's a sign to us in the world of who we are and who we belong to. But if you've been in church for any length of time, you know that love is something we talk about quite often, right? But I think a lot of times we talk about it as something we must do, but not why we should love. So love is important, right? We've established that. In fact, if you go into 1 Corinthians, you'll see Paul talk about it, and he will say, you can do everything right. You can have all the gifts, all the skills, all the knowledge, but if you don't love, you've got nothing. Love is the essence of who God is. I'll demonstrate it in this way from this passage in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be used of his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking away the, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our example in Jesus is someone who could have rightfully claimed his position. But instead, he humbled himself and endured the cross to save you and me. And then I want to read to you from John 13. And the setting here was right before crucifixion. And Jesus had just demonstrated servanthood again to his disciples by washing their feet. And in that time, it was a common practice to wash your feet. But it was the practice of the servant to do it, not the rabbi, which is what Jesus was. But Jesus... He, he demonstrated that servanthood, and he washed their feet. And then he gave them a command. And the disciples at the time, they were probably expecting the command. This was right before crucifixion. They're thinking, God, Jesus is fixing to command us to take up arms, start practicing, get ready. We're going to throw off this Roman rule that we've been under. But Jesus surprises them and gives them a different kind of command. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we see this time and time again in Jesus' life where he loves his disciples, even the one who betrayed him, Judas. He still loved Judas. And he also loved the people in this world who at the time the religious world would have said are unlovable. Think of the time at the, at, um, the well with the Samaritan woman. What did the disciples say at that time? 
they were like, they, they talked among themselves. They didn't say anything to Jesus, but they were like, what's he doing? This woman, this is not somebody you should be hanging out with. But Jesus saw her need, and he was willing to meet her at her need and help her. And as a result, that whole town came to believe in Jesus. Same thing with Zacchaeus. At the time, the religious people were like, why in the world would he go and have dinner with the tax collector? This is like the scum of the earth. That's what they said at the time. They didn't, they didn't understand why Jesus would show love to someone like Zacchaeus. But Jesus loved him enough to stop what he was doing, go to his home, and sit down and eat dinner with him. And as a result, Zacchaeus believed in Jesus and turned from his sinful ways. In Matthew 5, 43-45, Jesus introduced a radical way of thinking. He says in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we love because of Jesus' love for us, and that stems from an understanding of who we were before Jesus saved us. I was a lost and wayward soul in need of forgiveness. But Jesus loved me enough to save me, even with me doing nothing to earn it. So who are we to pick and choose who we show love to? Who are we to look at someone and say, hey, they don't deserve love? Who are we to say someone has fallen too far? As we look at the broken people in this world, you know, those people that have caused damage and hurt wherever they've gone, and I know there's names that will probably pop up in your mind, what I want you to think about this morning is what is our position of our hearts towards them? Is it our first instinct to judge and hate? Or do we see the need for Jesus' love and show that love in the way that we treat them. Our pride wants to make us believe the lie that we are better than them, better than the people that we want to judge and hate. But the Bible has a powerful verse I want to share with you. It's from Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That would imply that we start all at the same place, right? We start all at the same place. So shouldn't that make us compassionate? towards those around us? Shouldn't that stir compassion and love, not judgment? And I love the next verse in Romans 3.24. It says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're not elevated by our works, but by the grace of Jesus. Let's remember that the next time we're tempted to look on others with a critical spirit. Now, you notice this morning I've got some sunglasses on, right? And these, these sunglasses, these are pretty nice sunglasses. I can't take them off with this wire. That would not be a good idea. Um, but these are pretty nice sunglasses. These are Costa Del Mar, blackout edition, 580 glass lenses. And they're pretty cool. They cut even the brightest glare, even these bright lights right here that will blind you. <laughs> they will cut this glare. And even in the bright, brightest of conditions... They'll filter out that light and make someone even like me that has two astigmatism in both eyes be able to see clearly and comfortably. 
And I think as Christians, we need a filter when it comes to loving other people. We need the filter of Jesus to take the blinding glare of circumstances and life and filter it out and show us the way he sees the situation. Now, you probably remember earlier I made a statement, and I said, if I'm honest, there are days when I'm just not motivated to love. And I asked the question, what should I do about it? So there's a few things I want to share with you this morning that I think are glare in our lives and that we need to allow Jesus to purify those things out of our lives to let that Jesus love shine through. The first one this morning is hate. It's not natural for us to love others when we want to hate. In the scripture we we read, we see God is setting up a new way of thinking through Jesus. One where we are identified by our love as Christ taught us to love. In verse 20 it said, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. Y'all thought I forgot that verse, didn't you? We need to start with the understanding that this isn't going to be our default. Loving others when we want to hate is not going to be our default. We need a renewed mind to carry this out. And we need to go to our source, go to the source of our love, which is Jesus. Sometimes we have to do that daily, hourly. We have to remember that this isn't our default. This This is going to be difficult for us. And we have to have that renewed mind and be renewed daily by the Holy Spirit. The next thing that gets in the way is pride. Pride says, when you've wronged me, I have the right to retaliate. I have the right to retaliate, right? That's what my pride says. But according to James, in James 1.19, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But it's hard, right? Pride pops up again and again and says, we have the right to be angry. Once again, it takes the work of Jesus in our life to overcome that initial reaction of anger. And if you fall short in this area, I think it's helpful for us to ask God to show us what the root of that anger is. Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. You won't demonstrate the love of Christ in a tough situation if you stay angry all the time. We have, we have to, as Christians, resolve the anger in our lives and the things that cause us to be angry if we want to be able to demonstrate Jesus' love. The next thing is busyness. We're lust of the world. If we are overly busy and caught up in pursuing the things of the world, what happens? Our hearts are going to be torn between two masters. We're going to be chasing two different things that are two different directions. For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world, 1 John 2.16. Busyness has a way of creeping up on us. It has a way of flying under the radar. And you've got to stay on guard against it. And you'll notice I had the caveat in here, lust of the world. The reason I have that is I believe it's easy for Christians to pursue worldly things and then claim they're too busy to serve God. 
So when things get hard and we're getting busy, the first thing we tend to sacrifice is our service to Christ and the church, which in turn directly affects our love for others. We need to truly be honest with ourselves and realize when busyness starts to creep into our lives and allow God to reorder our priorities. And then finally, the fifth one is exhaustion. I think this is the easiest one for us to see, but for me, anyhow, it's the hardest to guard against. If we're tired, we tend to be irritable, right? I do. And irritable people aren't generally very loving people. At least, once again, I'm not. (laughs) So, this particular glare, if you will, is directly related to the busyness, to the lust of the world. And, we should, and it really should make us stop and consider what is, what is making us come to that point of exhaustion. Are we pursuing things of the world and letting our priorities get all jumbled up to the point that we're exhausted? I think these are things that we need to ask God to show us where we may fall short and pray intentionally to seek changes in, to these things in our lives. Now, we've talked about our personal responsibility to love, but as a church, we also have responsibilities, right? We also have responsibilities to love. We have an opportunity as a church to love others well and to shine brightly by the way that we love others, not only in these walls, in this room, but also outside. And... At the end of the day, if we're really honest, this is where it's hard to do it, right? We're family here. We're church family. And sometimes loving church family and loving others in our family is hard to do. But it's our greatest opportunity to show the world what Jesus came here to show us, and that's love. Now, God has some very strong language in verses 20 and 21 of our main passage. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's pretty powerful, right? This should sober us and caution us in how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that we don't speak the truth in love. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we need to extend grace as Jesus has to us. And how was that? He forgave freely and without hesitation. So Jesus has shown us the way and given us a spirit to guide us through the beautiful mess that we get to be a part of, which we call church family. It's hard and rewarding at the same time. But we have the opportunity to shine brightly as we love others well. But, hear me in this, it's something we have to be intentional about. It's something that we have to be really intentional about. As we go into this next week, there's a few things that I want us to um, look at that I think will help us to love others as Christ would have us to love. The first thing is stay in communion with God. Stay in communion with God. So daily spiritual practices. If we want to love others, and yet we're not doing the things that keep us connected to God, how are we going to extend God's love to others? There's no way. 
We have to stay in communion with God. Without that peace, we're going to fall into just taking our cues from the world, right? And then we're going to be no different. Second thing is, think before you speak. This one's pretty easy, right? Just think before you speak. Think of how many different times in your life or my life, things could have been avoided just by thinking a little bit before I spoke. Number three, this one might take you a little bit off guard. Practice taking care of yourselves so you can care for others. This is not something that we talk about all the time, but it's hard to love others if you don't take care of yourself and you become exhausted, irritable, right? Is that not, is that not true, church? Y'all, y'all with me? It's, it's hard to care for others when you don't take care of yourself. And the f- next one is make love your default setting and your default reaction. Remember, we talked about this earlier. It's not our default reaction, right? Our default reaction is our flesh rises up and says, hey, I've got the right to be angry. I've got the right to be angry. It's only through that renewed and spirit-filled mind that we talked about that we can react this way. And then when you're tempted to be critical, remember your shortcomings. This is something I found really helpful in my marriage. Um, Sometimes when I'm tempted to be critical and angry of my wife, I'll stop. This is when I'm doing it right, people. It's not every time, she'll tell you. (laughs) And I will sit down, and sometimes I have to read some scripture, but I start remembering all those shortcomings that I have, right? They just start coming back to me, and it gives me so much more grace to extend to her. And if you know my wife, you know it's true. She's got much, much less shortcomings than I do, so it's not too hard. But I think it's really important that when we want to be critical, that we stop and realize, hey, where was I? Where was I before Jesus? We want to be critical, critical of those people we run into at Walmart that are tough to love or at the grocery store, wherever you might go. Just remember your own shortcomings and the grace that Jesus has given to us. And then the next thing is communicate over internalizing hurt and anger. Think about how many times we could have avoided hurt and anger if we would have just communicated through a miscommunication that happened, right? If we internalize our anger and don't tell our brother and sister when we're hurt by their actions or their words, we aren't truly loving them. We might kid ourselves and tell, tell ourselves that we are. But so many of those arguments and miscommunications that happen in church or just in day-to-day life could be avoided if we would just communicate. So this time I want to invite the worship team up. And as we go into this week, I want us to remember a couple of things. Jesus has loved each one of us enough to bring him out of bring us out of our misery and sinful state. Now we have a choice each day how we're going to honor that. And Jesus in scripture showed us how to love not with words alone, but with action. So we have a choice. Are we going to love with words alone or with action? And then finally, if you're here today and you're a Christian, then you have something the world doesn't have. That's an experience the world has never experienced. Forgiveness. Right? We have forgiveness. And forgiveness of the world looks like being wronged and then offering forgiveness. Jesus gives a different kind of forgiveness. He forgave us before 
We wronged him. And his forgiveness went beyond to cover all of our sins against him. That's true love, that he would die for us. And now we have the chance to demonstrate that kind of love in the church and outside the church. Thank you, church, for your attentiveness this morning.